welcome to the Grit and Wit podcast, a show for ambitious female business owners that want to grow irresistible brands. If you're running a business and juggling family commitments and often your sanity, well, you're in the right place. I'm Liz from Elevate and I'm your host. I'll be chatting with inspiring guests who are sharing their stories and practical advice to help you navigate the highs and lows of building a business with grit and wit. Welcome to the Grit and Wit podcast. This is the first episode of season two, so very exciting. And this week I'm joined by the lovely Rebecca from Isla and Fraser. Now, if you haven't come across them before, Isla and Fraser is a gorgeous baby brand that sells exceptionally soft organic baby blankets alongside other beautiful products like baby booties and bonnets. I mean, they're so cute and big knits, all deliciously soft and delivered in their beautiful, beautiful wrapping. So they're all highly giftable and a real delight to receive. Rebecca and I, along with her husband, Simon, we worked together at the beginning of 2020 on their brand foundations. And since then, I've had the pleasure of watching their brand blossom and grow. They're now multi-award winning. I think it was seven at the last count. And they've been featured in Vogue several times. Since we recorded, they've partnered with ecology and for every order a tree is planted. This is really just part of their commitment to sustainability. They've grown their Instagram account to over 13,000 since it started in June 2020 and it's really one of the most delicious accounts you'll see so well worth a follow. I'm really excited to catch up with Rebecca and to find out what's been going on for them and to talk about how they've grown their business. So let's dive in. Hello, Rebecca, and welcome to the Grit and Wit podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Would you mind just starting off by introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about your business and what you do? Thank you, Liz. I'm really excited to be here. Um, And so thank you so much for having me on. Yes, of course. I'm Rebecca from Isla and Fraser. My husband, Simon, and myself set up our business together, and we design and make organic cotton baby knits mostly blankets but we've also recently branched out into baby clothing and accessories too and they are absolutely beautiful if you guys listening haven't come across Isla and Fraser you must go and check them out because the baby blankets are so so soft and I think that's something that's really key to this brand let's just go back a little bit if you don't mind um I know there's a really good story behind your business name uh Isla and Fraser can you tell us about that Basically, we decided to start a business and we we spent, I would say, about three months thinking about a baby name and we came up with so many different possibilities for it. And I think we were reading far too much into it, to be honest. And actually, it was my husband that came up with the twins' middle names. And as soon as he said it together, why not Isla and Fraser, something just clicked and it was like, that's it, that's that's what it should be. And I think why it worked so well is a because we were a baby brand and they were babies at the time and that just really sort of pulled it all together but I think also because we were trying to create a business that was really all about family values and we were going to always going to be a family business and a small sort of family business so it felt just really really important to have them within the brand name and within the business name and I feel like by putting their names into it as well I think it just sort of really sort of said a lot about what we stand for that we're we're willing to put our 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 names to this and our children's names to this and that's how much we believe in it 
Yeah, and and it sort of rolls off the tongue nicely as well, Isla and Fraser, doesn't it? It's um, it's a nice combination, I think. Yeah. So, how long have you been running Isla and Fraser? Because for for people that don't know, uh, Rebecca and Simon and I have worked together uh, in the past. We did the Brown Foundations together, which we'll talk about a little bit more as we go on. So I'm going to ask you some questions that I know the answer to here, but <laughs> for, the, for the sake of the people uh, that don't, can you just tell us a little bit about sort of how you started and you know, how long have you been running the business? Yeah, so late 2019, I took redundancy for my previous job and that was when we started it. And that was actually when we got in touch with you as well. So it all kind of all started at that point when we, we launched two options on Amazon in a very very small way they'd sold really well and we basically were like oh right what and it was I would say at that point it was very much a just sort of testing the water and seeing if something stuck or something kind of worked or if we had something that we could build and I think then we realized wow we we really have got something here um got in touch with you and did a lot of work on who we were what we wanted to be where we wanted to go and really solidified our brand and then we actually we didn't launch our website or any kind of social media handles until July last year so in terms of our actual own website we've we haven't had that running for that long only nine months now and would you mind telling us a little bit about what you were doing before because you make it sound very easy oh we just had two products we put them on Amazon (laughs) sounds so easy I know there's a lot of work that goes into that uh, and I know that a lot of that has kind of come through from your your previous job. So what were you doing before? So I was, I've always been a fashion buyer my whole career. I've always, always loved textiles and fashion. Um, I was actually in the position of head of buying for women's wear for a large high street retailer before I started Isla and Fraser. I've always really been very creative and I've loved the process of bringing something really beautiful to life. And it's definitely my passion. I would say though that before I um, started working, before I started Ida and Fraser, I did start to get a bit disillusioned with the fast fashion industry. It was both very demanding, but also a bit soul destroying because just the vast amounts of acrylic and polyester being created only for people to dispose of them months later. So I, in turn, then started to become really passionate about sustainable fashion. I became the sustainable lead on it for women's wear, helping to educate on best practices and drive new initiatives. I then had the twins. (laughs) I returned to my job after about a year of maternity leave. And at that point, I was already questioning, how on earth am I going to be able to pick up the baton again and go full pelt as I was before I had the children? I put in a request actually for flexible working just to go down to four days a week. And that was rejected outright. And there was definitely this real feeling of being a bit of a problem, being in a senior position and having such young children. So I started to have conversations with Simon about how am I going to be able to do, how am I going to do this job? Um, And bear in mind also that the four hours that I, the four hours, the four days that I was asking for were basically 12 hour days. They weren't short hours at all. And then actually, as luck would have it, about a month later, the company announced they were relocating and offering redundancies to anyone who didn't make the move. So that for me was really the rocket that I needed to make me leave and not just leave that company but actually leave the career that I'd been you know doing my whole life I considered jumping straight into another role as I I felt that kind of panic of 
if I take time out, if I don't go to another job straight away, no one will want me, that sort of familiar kind of feeling. But actually, I just thought this is the right time for me. I've got young children. If I don't do this now, I'll never do it. And Simon had always said to me, you, you're really, really good at creating products. and You need to do that for yourself. Uh, we need to do something together that combines our skill set. And it had always been very much blue sky thinking. The stuff that you talk about over dinner when you have, you know, full on demanding jobs. But it's very, very wishful thinking. And it's very, oh, you know, one day in the future. And then finally, after I thought, a few glasses of wine. Oh, always Normally, after a few yeah. glasses of wine. And then you wake up in the morning and it's long forgotten. But I think this was the time when I thought, actually, if it's not now, then it's never. And so that became, that was really the catalyst for the whole thing. And then, like you say, to get to those two options on Amazon, it became a case of kind of being like, right, what, what do I create? And I think it, I always feel like a bit of a cliche to say I had a baby um, or two babies in our case and decided to start a baby brand. And actually, we were never driven to specifically become a baby brand. We were driven to make an incredibly good product. Um, and that was always like at the heart of everything I've always done. It's like, what can I give someone that's really, really good and really useful and also really beautiful? So sorry to interrupt, but um, I know that the choice of doing baby blankets was um, sort of born out of a desire to create something that you felt didn't exist and something you'd been looking for for your own children. Um, and I know that we uh, were probably all wondering how old your twins were and how on earth you managed the nap time juggle and all of that. <laughs> we'll come on to that later. But can you just tell us about how, how it was and why it was that you decided to go for the baby blankets? Yeah, so it was a natural evolution, actually. Like I started looking for items for my babies, not with the intention of creating anything, but actually just starting to get a bit frustrated at, at kind of ending up with things that sort of did the job, but weren't really, to me, what I would have picked if I had had the choice. Um, I felt frustrated. I've got a girl and a boy, and at this time they were one. Um, so they were one years old. So yes, the juggle was real. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I felt a lot of the time they were defined in pink and blue, and also with a some kind of animal motif as well stuck on them, which also felt really gender specific. You know, it was always a dinosaur for a boy, and. It was also, for me, a little bit about the quality, uh, actually a lot about the quality, I have to say, because my skin had really, really sensitive skin. And I, I have sensitive skin, but his his skin is sort of next level. He was always covered in rashes. He had a lot of allergies. And so we overhauled everything, actually, bubble bath, sheets that he slept on, particularly anything that he slept on or with, clothing. Um, and as soon as we started to go organic and made sure that we sort of removed chemicals pesticides any kind of irritant from the things that he was coming into contact with we saw a real difference and so I really saw firsthand the impact of organic products on him at that kind of tiny little age as well and I really became so passionate about what it is that we put next to their skin and and, and the kind of damage actually that, that can be done by just in any old fabric that can contain so many different chemicals next to them. Um, so that really then drove out. And then because my experience is much more um, based on knits, I've, I've got experience with all textiles, but I would say my speciality is definitely knitwear. And also I would say my passion because I, I really love the creativity that you can that you can get out of creating something out of knitting something. It gives you a lot more creative freedom than using a fabric. 
so harnessing the combination of that it naturally then led to the thought of baby blankets because actually also the ones that we had been given were lovely but the cellular cellular ones were either sort of stiff as a board and very boring to be honest um or they were wool which was really really irritable to his skin or not breathable or regular made out of regular cotton or pink or blue so there was a lot of different factors as you can tell we ended up with a lot of blankets but there was a lot of different (laughs) factors involved that I thought I know exactly what it is that I want but I can't find it um so that kind of whole traditional baby knit but with a modern spin on it is is how I would sort of describe what we were sort of trying to to get to yes absolutely and I think this whole thing of the pink and the blue I've always really struggled with that as well because you know I've got girls and a boy and like you say they are very much defined in those colors and you walk into a shop and it's like oh there's the boy section there's the girl section and if if you don't want to do that which I I didn't either um, and my children are, are older than yours now how old are your children now they're three and obviously now they make they make more choices now don't they so they can naturally choose dinosaurs if they want to (laughs) when they're babies it's nice to have choice and like you say there was you know very little choice it was sort of only I think for me it was only really the white company perhaps that was the other alternative that you know you go for a white or a pale gray or something but I think that this is obviously now part of your ethos isn't it that everything has to be organic and natural and sort of non-gender specific is that something you think you guys are going to continue with? Is that sort of now really intertwined and woven into your brand that it's unlikely that you will ever do a, a pink or a blue? Absolutely. I And also, we'll get onto that as well, but your help with the colour palettes and really focusing that down as well. Like I, I can honestly say we'll never go that way. I think we'll always have takes on our own versions of those colours. We've just launched a, a rosewood colour, which I would say is as close as we'll get to a pink. It's a sort of a pinky tinged brown. <laughs> and I've noticed a lot of people buying it for girls because we can see in the gift notes that we write. Um, but it's it's very, very far away from from a baby pink. So I think absolutely those values are completely intertwined. And I would say along with that is affordability. So like you just mentioned, the white company, there were there were a, sort of a few brands doing a similar kind of thing, but actually a lot of them were really, really expensive and I think not very accessible. So I think we really wanted to to do our own own take on it, but also just make it really accessible to people because as much as buying organic does cost a bit more, it doesn't cost the earth. And I think it's really important to make sure that people can access that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the pun is that, you know, it absolutely doesn't cost the earth, does it? It's sort of no. <laughs> on, both, on both levels. Um, so what what would you say was the sort of biggest struggle for you when you were starting? Was it um, finding the time? Was it sort of deciding on the product? Uh, was it actually just doing that juggle with the kids being so young? Uh, what, what, what did you sort of find hardest? Do you know what? I think that the product came really easily to me because that's my background. And that and that, that for me was the, the simplest thing. It was great. I've got this really good product that I'm really proud of. And But that, I think the biggest struggle for me was what do I do now? And that feeling of being overwhelmed, not having the usual teams of people to call on in a large business to support and do all the specialist stuff that they do so well. And I remember calling you up and going, um, can you help me set up a business Instagram account? Because I honestly hadn't used social media for three years. I think I'd just been in a black hole, working, mothering, sleeping, repeat. 
And I was just like, how do I set up a business? How do I register and trademark a business? How do I get a logo? And then just you have so many more questions than answers at the beginning. And I think also you doubt yourself. And I think you have that fear of putting yourself out there and it not working. So I think the whole combination of that, I think, was the biggest struggle for me is where do I start and what do I do? Yeah, it can have you so stuck, can't it? And in fact, the best way to overcome that sense of overwhelm is to take some action. Yeah. But it's sort of knowing which direction to put your action. What, where do you, you know, what do you do first and in what order? And there is obviously a process and you've gone through that process and we all take a slightly different journey, uh, you know, through that, depending on our business and, and where we're kind of coming from. But yeah, so probably it's a good time to talk about the work that we did together because I remember the the conversation. You saying, you know, I, I just need to set up my Instagram. Um, can you help me with that? And we got together, and this was pre-COVID, where you could actually meet in person. <laughs> we got together, and uh, we were talking about photography, weren't we? And you know how to sort of style your Instagram pictures and that kind of thing. But it was very clear at that point that this was the Instagram really was the sort of cherry on the cake, but actually the cake needed to. Be be baked a bit more before we could put that cherry on if you like which is then I think when we had the conversations around the brand foundations and the sort of bits of the puzzle that perhaps uh, needed a bit more work how did you find the brand foundations so we found it absolutely brilliant and couldn't recommend it highly enough and actually I often think about that conversation that day at my house I think when I asked you to come around for an hour and you ended up staying for four hours because I I picked your brain so much and I think I'm so pleased that you, during that conversation, actually came and kind of put the brakes on what we were doing. Because I think from that conversation, I think it then took about another six months to launch our website and social media. Whereas I thought, oh, I'm just going to launch it next week (laughs) without really (laughs) knowing what I was doing or saying or who we were, which I think was the best decision we ever made. So I think that the Brand Foundation's process allowed Simon and myself to have all these conversations about who we actually were, what we wanted to stand for, what our long-term goals were. Just basically, it cemented visually and in writing, allowed us to actually capture everything that we wanted it to be. And every time we had a chat with you, we would then go away and talk ourselves and it would really just solidify everything. And it was just really, really good conversation starting points as well. But I think for me, probably the um the most standout moments of the process were um there's probably two actually I would say first of all the brand seasons um which I'd never heard of until you talked about it and actually as soon as you went through the the four seasons for me something just clicked and I think the rest just started to fall very naturally into place because I think once you have identified your season it gave not only a look a feel a voice a color palette a tone it just sort of started to just cement everything together and I I really like guidelines and rules and for me that really 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 helped just always give me something to come back to and whenever I'm starting to doubt myself or or if I feel I'm veering off course a little bit I always refer back to that and who we are and effectively that's the essence of it and then also I would just say secondly that the the customer avatar And I found that was, I'd say that was probably one of the longest parts of the process, but actually just so helpful. And I think that by creating a real person that's got a name, a photo, they've got values, what do they, what do they place high value on? Where do they shop? 
I think it allows us to talk about her and think about her all the time. So whenever I'm developing a product, I always think, what color would she want it in? How much would she pay? Where else is she going to be looking for this product? We actually, we created four together as we've got a a few specific customer types. Um, But I I think our main one is Laura. And I honestly, I wake up and go to bed thinking about Laura, (laughs) what she wants (laughs) um, and what she's looking for, how I can best help her. And it genuinely helps keep me on the right path because to me, she's a real person. Yeah, it's so strong when you, when you're able to apply that in a sort of day-to-day way, it's really, really valuable, I think. I think a lot of the time people think of creating a custom avatar or a muse, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it's just something that's a sort of tick box exercise that you do, oh, I've done that now, let's move on, and they never look at it again. Whereas actually it should be like a living, breathing person that you're trying to understand and you're trying to serve best, like you say. And I think the key to it really is with anything to do with custom avatars, trying to get under the skin of the person that you're serving in some way and work out what motivates them. Because everybody can buy things. We've all got, you know, money to buy certain things. Uh, But it's understanding why somebody would spend their money with you. What is important, like you say, what are those key things that are going to attract or repel them? um, And how your brand ethos fits with their values. Um, So when you can have this and and it feels like it's a person, it's so much easier to make decisions, I think, and to kind of sense check everything as you go. Absolutely. Because it gives you that framework. And then you know not only what's right for your business, but you also then know what's wrong for your business. So you can very quickly say, no, that's that's not right. And it kind of cuts out three quarters of the of the choices, I suppose. Yeah. Which makes things much easier. I think one of the most impactful things that you said straight away about the brand seasons is unless you're winter, you don't use black. And that was, that's honestly been one of the most powerful nuggets of information <laughs> because it's such an easy default to, to use black font or to, you know, use black somewhere. We're just so used to it being part of it. And actually, once you strip that out, I've stripped that out of our Instagram grid, um, stripped that out of the website, it makes such a huge difference and, difference and yeah. suddenly it just actually becomes something different and it becomes that seasonal look. Yeah, absolutely. So what did you do after our work together? You said that it took sort of six months, which I think to, to somebody listening to that, you might feel like a bit of a, a bit of a delay that perhaps you're thinking, oh gosh, actually I want to just get going. Um, but I think that if you've done the process, you understand that it's, it's actually not really delaying you because you would end up backtracking to this point and, and having to do this work at some point and kind of probably getting it not quite right to start with it's better to sort of start on the right foot a little bit later I feel um but what did you do after our work together what did you invest in did you have your branding and photography and that kind of stuff yeah so and I would say also six months I probably probably took me a little bit longer than than maybe someone else that didn't have twins so I would say that it probably could take slightly less time than that but I I completely agree with you that it's worth just doing it once and doing it well to start off with. And I don't regret it taking that long at all because I think that it was needed to really create the brand that we have now. And like you say, not backtrack and have to go back on any decisions. So after we finished our brand foundations work, you kindly recommended the lovely Pam from Page and Looker, who I know you work with quite a lot. And she basically then picked up our brand foundations and did our physical branding for us. 
which I think, well, I know because she said it was a lot easier to do once she had the brand foundation. So I think it re- she she could look at that straight away and go, okay, I know exactly what what I need to do. I know exactly what you want your your brand to be. Um, and then I think what she then did, I think I would say that process in total was about two months. So it is a, it is a quite a long process, but there's a lot involved in it. Because not only did she do our wordmark and logo for us, she did these beautiful collection illustrations to um, to, to basically start bringing our products into little groups and little categories and really kind of give them identities that all link back to our brand foundations. Um, she also helped design our gift boxes, tissue paper. She did a lot of, of work around that. And then also our color palettes as well um, and brand fonts. So then once we'd finished that work with her, we then went on to find a web designer who then she actually recommended. So it was it was all, I think, the fate that you recommended her. She recommended uh, Jack Neville, who was just the most amazing web designer. Um, and he's um, a Shopify expert, actually. And he did the most amazing job, I would say, not only on creating the skeleton for our website, but on then training me how to build it and run it, because I'm sure that wasn't easy as I don't think that that kind of area comes naturally to me. And I ask a lot of questions um, because I want to understand every single part of it. And I have to admit that um, coding is still pretty bamboozling to me. Likewise. <laughs> for me, for I was terrified of the idea of running my own website. And then as soon as actually I got it, I thought, actually, this isn't, this isn't that terrifying. This is fine. I can do this. Things have moved on, haven't they? Yeah, you know, the Websites, it's much easier to kind of run your own stuff now, I think, with, you know, the likes of Squarespace, Shopify, Wix, those kinds of um, sort of drag and drop templated type systems and things where the, the back end of the website, if you like, is much, much more user friendly than it's ever been. And I think that lots of people get really stuck on this and kind of worried and fearful of the tech. And it's really normal. But I do think that it's really important to work with somebody who will help you when you need it, but also where you're not going to be held hostage by your web designer, that you can only go back to them to make a change. It's really important to be able to run that yourself um, and to be able to make, you know, the changes, updates, uh, add stock if you need to, change photos, all that kind of stuff. So it sounds like he's really helped you to get to that point where you can do that yourself. Completely, completely. And I think that what that whole process taught me as well is invest in people that are really, really good at what they do and let them help you. And also like we, t- like we touched on, do it once and do it well from the beginning, because I just think it's just, it's just absolutely crucial to getting you off on the right foot and not having to come back and, and redo anything and not being afraid to delegate, not feeling like you have to try and do everything yourself because it's hard enough doing everything else yourself. But these customer facing um, parts of your business are just so crucial that I just don't think I just don't think it's worth scrimping on. I just think it it says everything about you if you can if you can afford to do it well um, and get you know really talented people to help you with it. I think it's it, it's really really important. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes it's quite difficult to know where to find the right people, mm. and you know often I think people start off by thinking well they need a logo so they get you know their hairdresser's friend to do one (laughs) or whatever um and and that's fine that's how lots of people start but I do think that when you can it's really important to to spend some time and some money getting it all right uh like you say so so now I mean I should also say you have the most beautiful gift boxes 
uh, and <laughs> tissue paper and packaging. It's absolutely just gorgeous and a, and a delight to receive. Um, so I, I think that all of that plays a really big part in how somebody feels about the brand and the product. Uh, and it goes a long way. I think you also include sort of a handwritten note and that kind of thing, don't you? Which yeah. I think goes a long way to helping somebody feel connected to your brand, which is makes them much more likely in turn to recommend you uh, and to shop from you themselves if it's been a gift, for example. Definitely. And I just think, and I I would say that probably actually our biggest investment today has been on our packaging. It's been a huge investment because to get custom-made boxes and tissue paper like that you have the minimums are really high so it's a huge leap of faith to think are we going to actually sell this many and where are we going to store them and all these all these things and I remember we had conversations about gifting right in the early days and how important it could be to our brand and also we started to see actually all the requests coming through and we started to sort of feel like actually I think if we're going to make a success of this we've just got to go for it and we had one gift box option that was half the price and we could get half the minimums. And actually, then we had this gift box option that we were just like, I, th- I think we've just got to go for it. And we did. And we haven't actually looked back. And actually, we're now getting it made in different sizes um, because it's been so successful, um, similar with the, the tissue paper. And I think it's so hard to invest in it in the early days when you haven't got much coming in. And it just feels like a huge deficit of money coming out. Um, but just for us as a brand, I think customer experience is number one. And so when we kept going back over our values and what's important to us and what's important to our customer, that whole customer experience, I really feel like that whole unpackaging part, especially with gifting, but also we actually get a lot of mums just treating themselves. So I just think it makes it makes a huge difference. And I think it also just says a lot about, about your brand and what, what's important to you. Yes, I mean, definitely, I, I completely agree. So I guess alongside all this, beautiful packaging and the orders that you're receiving, uh, there comes more work because presumably all the gifts and the gift boxes have to be wrapped. Are you still doing that yourself or is that something you're outsourcing at the moment? Yeah, so I do all of that myself um, still, but we have recently started to have conversations about how best to manage that because it is getting to the point where I'm struggling to get through it all and then run the rest of the business as well because the packaging is starting to take up um, most of my time especially with the amount of gifting and gift boxes they, they take quite a long time to do um, but obviously worth it um, so it's just how going forward it's how we can get some support with that whether we bring in some staff or we look at external fulfillment um, to better help free up my time because I have about a four-hour window every morning I drop the children at preschool and I'm sort of back at my desk about nine o'clock and then I have until one o'clock when I go and pick them up they just do mornings um, on a weekday and that's that's my window of time and some days I can do about an hour packing and some days I can spend the whole four hours packing and then I don't actually get to anything else all the other parts of the business um, have to then roll over to the next day when there's even more things on the to-do list and more orders coming in yeah. and then more orders exactly yeah so you're always going to have those orders stacking up so and they're always going to be you know for me I get to my desk and the first thing I do is customer messages and orders and it's always those two short-term things that have to take priority and then the other things are you know when I get to them that's that's lovely to do but it would be really nice to obviously spend more time on all the other parts of it um, which is really, really useful when I do get to it. 
Yeah, and it's much more strategic. The thing is, your skill set and the bit that's so brilliant about what you can do in the business is, you know, the design work um, and, you know, the the sort of CEO type level stuff, really, even though it's still a small business, you know, you need to, I suppose, be the CEO of the business as well, rather than being kind of lost in the in the the day-to-day nitty-gritty stuff so yeah I think all businesses reach this point where in in order to kind of get to the next level and to to grow and to elevate you know you have to start thinking about how you can outsource it's really surprising to hear you say that you only have four hours a day I think that's going to be quite reassuring to a lot of people because lots of us are working around school children and school hours which is a slightly longer day uh, rather than just mornings so do you get much help other than the nursery time No, so nursery time is the time. I think that occasionally on weekends when I have a big backlog of orders um, or just, I would say, just overflow of work from the week, my husband's great at acknowledging that and taking the kids out for a morning just to help me catch up um, and giving me that time. But no, that's my time. And then what I'll try to do is I used to be quite bad at letting work run and order packing run into the weekends and now I'm really strict I only do order, I only send out orders on weekdays and make that really clear that it's working days and when you place an order that we ship out on to just give me that balance back on the weekends and allow me to spend that time with my family which is the whole reason that we're that we set up this business in the first place it wasn't to spend you know seven days a week working and then also I'm I'm trying to get stricter with myself on evenings so once we get the kids to bed I used to then just bring laptop on the sofa and I would try and have a bit of downtime and a bit of tv time and keep working and catching up and everything and actually it wasn't actually achieving anything so now what I try and do is I'll try and do about an hour's work after getting the kids to bed and that can either be sort of at the kitchen table with Simon chatting through strategies or things that we've got coming up or kind of getting his buy-in on things that I'm thinking about or it can just be going back to my office and and just finishing up some of the the things that I haven't quite finished um for the day um or getting some orders ready for the next day just to sort of get ahead of myself and then I make sure that I'm right okay that's then that's the end of my working day and I've finished up the loose you know tied up the loose ends and then I have my downtime so I've really tried to put in place sort of measures that kind of give me back a bit of that balance and stop sort of stop me feeling so overwhelmed but also just make everything realistic and being kinder to myself about what I can actually achieve and what's realistic yeah I think that having those kinds of boundaries is so important and it's so so easy and I know from personal experience you know if you work from home it's so easy to just keep working but you never you're never finishing you're gonna never finish (laughs) because there's always something else to be done because once you've done the orders then then it's the Instagram and then it's the thing, you know, there's always something else. So I think it is really important, especially um, if you are working from home to be able to switch off and to sort of designate certain hours for work and know that when you're in those hours, everything else goes off. For me, you know, social media goes off, my phone, I put onto silent. I'm sort of very much unavailable to the outside world because my head is down and I'm working. But then it does mean that the rest of the time, this is the theory anyway, (laughs) the rest of the time, you can be more present to the things that you're doing. You know, if you're having tea with the children, you can really enjoy that because you're not having to check your phone every two minutes. But there is always, there is always a bit of a juggle, I think. Do you have a sort of designated space? You must have a a large area for stock and for all your packaging and stuff. How, How do you manage that at home? 
Yeah, so luckily we've just moved house and actually the business was the driving force to us moving house because we were really, really struggling for space. And we were just, we just had it kind of coming out of our ears in our old house. And it was just, it's really time to move now. It's, you know, not just for the business, but just for more space for, for us as a family. And being out in the country, we sort of realised with COVID, you know, how much time you're spending at home and just wanting a bigger garden to run around with and the kids, you just really realise what, what matters. So luckily, we now have an outbuilding that we can use for stock storage. So I've managed to create um, a really nice area for stock there. And we also use a, a separate warehouse as well, because we do have a lot of stock and a lot of packaging. Um, and then I also have my own office, which is amazing, because I didn't have that before. And so I always, re- I struggled a lot more, I'd say, in the old house working and living in the same rooms, whereas now to have a designated space to work in that I can make my own and I can make it a really creative space. I, I've really noticed the difference and that's made me a lot more just energized and motivated about what I'm doing and, you know, where the business is going. So yeah, it makes a it makes a big difference. But even I would say even when I was working on the kitchen table, which I still do sometimes to be honest, when I just overflow, <laughs> just I think that I would just sometimes bring in a candle or a scent or something that would make me go into work mode like a really kind of energizing just smell or something that would just mix it up from when I would be there eating dinner or be there you know doing play-doh with the kids so it would just almost switch it into a different mode and just make it feel like I was in I was in work mode now yes I think the difficulty as well when you're working from home you don't have a designated space is that at the end of the day you've got to clear everything up so you yeah. can't kind of leave out like mood boards and swatches and all the different things that I imagine that you have, uh, because the next thing they're going to be covered in, you know, baby food or whatever. <laughs> so you've got to clear it up. So it means that you're never coming back to where you left off. So you've always got that bit of time that is the sort of getting yourself back up to speed, if you like, when you're starting work the next day. But to Completely. have a space that you can shut the door on is brilliant <laughs> completely and not let little people in it makes yeah it makes such yeah, a difference. put a lock on that door <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I would lay it all out and be ready to get creative and I would spend about an hour doing product development and then think oh I've got to go pick up the kids and I've got to pack it all away again and actually yes, like you yeah. say to be able to leave it out and come back to it later would is just so so helpful definitely now, what we haven't talked about is some of the awards and the amazing things that's happened since we worked together. So I know that you mentioned, you touched on this earlier uh, about the Baby Awards. Can you tell us a bit about that and, how, and that, how that came about? And also, of course, Vogue. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, oh, gosh, you know, I still actually pinch myself that we won two gold awards. Um, we, well, again, Simon's always the one championing me and pushing me to do things that are out of my comfort zone. And obviously, we only launched July last year. And then we thought, okay, there are, there are awards that we could enter, but we've just launched. And he was the one being like, just go for it. Um, you know, you've got a good product. So just believe in it. And um I entered the the Project Baby Awards because I actually looked at the different awards to go for. And actually, they were the ones um, that were tested for and voted for by real parents, which I felt that's really, really about what we're about. And to be honest, after we'd sort of entered, I didn't I didn't think much of it because I honestly sort of saw some of the brands that had entered and I really thought, OK, I don't think we stand a chance. But you know what? It's it's really nice to be part of it. Um and I remember on the day that they were announcing the winners, 
she was now announcing it on the sto- her Instagram stories. And she said at the beginning, okay, the brands that have, that have won, I've just emailed you to let you know what you've won ahead of me announcing it to the wider world. So I really excitedly checked my emails. There was nothing in there. And then I actually just felt oh, really, no. really like disappointed. And I actually felt a bit foolish thinking, oh, it's so stupid of me to even have expected there to be anything there, um, which is just, you know, imposter syndrome striking again. Um, so I just literally left it, went and had my evening with the kids, gave them the tea, didn't check back on anything. And then suddenly my phone started dinging. It was like ding, 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 just going like a bit crazy. And then I, when I opened it up, and saw that we'd won two awards. I, I just I, honestly, I just I thought it was a wind up. I couldn't believe it, and I went back <laughs> into my email, went back into my emails, checked again, and was like, "What's going on?" And it had only gone into my junk. And oh just, no! I know. And I literally was like, I remember just staring at this email for oh gosh, probably about five minutes in black and white. Like you know, it's just the ultimate validation to have your hard work endorsed and then voted for by real parents who were the judges as well I just felt like that was just so brilliant for us because we always say we make our products for parents not for babies like you know we want it to be trusted by them we want it to be beautiful in their homes we want them to feel comfortable giving it as gifts and endorsing it to other people um, you know, we want, we absolutely want them to feel like they can let their baby sleep with our products, which is the ultimate, you know, sort of test as a new, a new parent, what you let your baby sleep with. And then also just, you know, washing well, traveling well, just all the, the things that we knew that therefore the judges had done, you know, it doesn't just look nice when you get it, it actually, it lasts. So yes, yeah, so that was, that was just um, amazing. So then what happened with Vogue was um, I got an email one day that I showed to Simon because I honestly, I, again, thought it was spam. <laughs> thought, I don't understand how Vogue have got into contact with, with us. And a lovely lady called Eleanor at British Vogue had read our brand story and she wanted to feature us in their baby brand edit for the February edition. And for me, just the idea that they'd read our brand story in itself was mind-blowing. You always told me how important the brand story was and we spent so much time on it didn't we during our foundations work but I just I think I genuinely never really believed that people read it or read it in that much detail and in our brand story I mention my Omar who's my grandma um, who was such a big influence on me growing up because I remember we kept talking about what my inspiration was really behind textiles and fashion and how I got into all of that in the first place and obviously that in turn then led to to Ida and Fraser and she actually used to collect copies of Vogue for pattern making and she had eight children and so for her this was her ultimate indulgence and this was her sort of escapism from the world and she had stacks and stacks and stacks of them and before I even knew that she'd done this I started collecting Vogue's myself as I started to develop my own interest in fashion and then my mum actually really started pointing out how alike we were and, you know, she was like, you're just like, you're just like, you know, you know she, she used to collect that as well. So to cut a long story short, they'd, they'd read all this, seen the sort of the Vogue reference, the influence on the brand. And she, they were actually also seeking out small businesses to champion and feature because they liked to, to sort of put in their magazine small businesses that their readers would like. But what I found really, really, really good about what they were doing was that they were particularly supporting and seeking out sustainable ones as well. So actually, we're in really good company um, when the publication came out amongst other British small 
businesses that were also sustainable and organic. So it was actually a really good little treasure trove of, of information on, you know, other, other brands that we would want to shop from as well. Yeah, and actually, to amazing. cut a long story short, we've been in three editions now. So on my to-do list is still to get the covers of them in a frame on, <laughs> on my office wall. Definitely. I mean, that's a real achievement. I think when we work together we were talking about you know what would be the ultimate for you and several things came up it was around you know different brands that you'd want to be stocked by or sorry different yeah. you know retailers uh, that you'd want to be stopped stocked by and and we talked obviously at length about the the Vogue thing and I think that was something that we pulled out uh, and it, it's a process isn't it writing a brand story like trying to pull out what are the salient pieces what are the bits that are actually relevant to your brand versus just all the stuff that's kind of got you to this spot to this point now yeah but it, it's it really is very relevant and I think it's um it's a real testament to the fact that that you know the brand story is very powerful and people read these uh, on people's websites a lot because you want to know the person behind the brand you want to understand you know who's actually running this business is it just another kind of faceless online business that's you know owned by some big other business or is this actually a small business where things are being taken care of personally like it is with your business so I I think it's one of the most read pages on a website is the kind of about about us or brand story sort of page but it's amazing I I, I remember when you messaged me and said that you were going to be in vogue I was like doing a little happy dance like that's so good it was fate (laughs) yes I think it was I think it was but also now kind of growing your business, if we kind of take it from here, we initially talked about the idea of Instagram and that's what you kind of came to me for. And then that was put on the back burner for a little bit. But obviously you've started your Instagram account, uh, which is absolutely beautiful for anyone that hasn't seen it. You should definitely go and have a follow. Oh, thank you. So it's really gorgeous. And I'll put the links uh, in the show notes on my website. How, how have you found Instagram? I know you're managing it all yourself at the moment as well. That's not something you've outsourced yet. How do you manage to create the beautiful content on a sort of day-to-day basis? I know you're working with some brand ambassadors. Would you mind talking to us a little bit, a bit, little bit more about that? Instagram for me has just been one of the most beneficial things that that we've done. We've got 8,000 followers in, in eight months. And I have, to be honest, I have no idea what's sort of considered as fast growth. But I'm just genuinely shocked every day that that people want to sort of follow along on our journey. And I think the key for me is being just authentic, consistent and engaging and not expecting too much from people either. I actually read a really good article a few months ago about the one in five rule. If you're a business or someone trying to sell something effectively um, on Instagram, that only one in five posts should be trying to sell something. Um, And that actually really helped me refocus what I was doing on Instagram because I I felt a bit like actually I've got this lovely community with people that I engage with all the time and just have really nice chats with a really nice female kind of empowered community um, where I've got other small businesses that that support me and vice versa and just really lovely followers and customers and actually I felt like I just don't want to be a pushy salesperson (laughs) saying buy more blankets Um, because often a lot of our followers they buy a blanket and then that's it they're they're done so but they'll still follow along so it's what can you give them that's not just trying to sell them something so it's really hard to stick to actually because naturally you want to you want to sell more but I do try and follow it so for me it's a really helpful guide to try and do just one in five posts that's something selling and then four others that are something that you're 
that your followers and customers would actually be interested in. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, the way I look at it is almost like you're cu- curating an online magazine. Uh, yeah. And if if you had a reader of that magazine, what are all the different things that they would be interested in other than just the one thing that, like you say, you're trying to sell your product? And if you look at it like that, it becomes much easier, I think, to to start to pick out the kind of right stories and the right topics that fit for your brand, which is exactly what you've, you know, you just described there. Yeah, definitely. And then you mentioned brand reps and brand ambassadors, um, actually. And I would honestly say for me, that's probably been one of the best things we've ever done. So we we don't do any paid for advertising with influencers. Like I know a lot of the big brands do. And we do do some gifting, but we don't do those. And and to be honest, we only ever gift an item to an influencer if they've got a genuine interest in our brand. So normally they will already have been a paying customer. They'll already be following us. They'll already be engaging with us. And they'll have beautiful content that is in line with our content and our values. And I actually end up turning down more influencers than I accept because we get a lot of people just clearly copying and pasting the same email to small businesses looking for freebies so I find that you get a much higher return if you actually go with with someone that's got a genuine interest in in your products and your brand but in terms of brand reps so I've got a team of brand reps that work with us and I very much just I now view them as part of the team it's been one of the best things we've done and they're basically some of the loveliest people I've ever met they're a bunch of new mums they're all really passionate about our products I talk to them all every day probably more than my real friends and family and for me I think what's great about them is they're real life advocates that they are really using our products every day talking about it advocating it and it really doesn't matter how many followers they have um so I'd never ever suggest picking brand reps based on having a high uh, amount of followers because also you'll find that a lot of them also are brand repping for other brands too and so your brand can come quite far down in their list of priorities or it can just I find that their followers could become disillusioned with with what they're actually saying because they can be repping for so many different companies that no one believes what they're actually saying anymore. So I would say look at their enthusiasm, their feedback, their content, their engagement as as the most important things to consider. Um, And then we also have a group chat where I can share with them new product ideas. I always get them to vote on nearly everything I do now. So they've all basically voted on and been part of the the new product ranges that we've got coming out. And then I send them out samples to fit and wear a trial for us. So they get freebies, but then I also get the most amazing feedback and comments. And often they send the most amazing videos saying, this is how how it fits. This is what I would tweak. And because they've all got babies of slightly different ages and, and genders, it's brilliant getting, you know, various different feedback. And with COVID, obviously I haven't had direct access to a baby <laughs> as much as I would love direct access to a baby but um to be able to do to do any of that and it's so so important to me to to test test and test and just you know keep wear a trial to make sure we've got the right product and I think also I very much used to love being part of a team of women that's what how I've always worked in my career in fashion um you know really creative just lovely women that I really missed. And I actually found that probably one of the hardest things about starting my own business. And, you know, I'm doing it with my husband, but he also has a full-time demanding job. So it's not like I get to sit and talk to him about it all day. I catch up with him of an evening. So it's lonely. And by having this community of people that are as 
enthusiastic and engaged with your brand as you are I just think it's it's like having a little team again um so yeah I couldn't I couldn't recommend it highly enough I think get the right people and you're onto a winner and how did you actually go about finding them did you put something out on Instagram I seem to recall yeah originally I did a brand rep search I'd already been approached by a couple so I kind of already had a few earmarked that I knew I wanted and then I just thought okay just to make sure that I haven't missed anyone I'm going to do a I literally just did it as a post um so just apply basically via this post um and then hashtag any of the pictures that you think would be the kind of pictures that we would be interested in seeing to to represent what you would what you would what kind of content you would um, deliver as a brand rep um so that I can basically find you via this hashtag and so then then once it came to choosing I just based search via the hashtag and looked at um at all these images and which ones sort of fitted best with the brand the kind of I also wanted to be really real I didn't want these pictures that were so over curated that it actually didn't represent life as a new mum um at all they can be you know almost too beautiful sometimes so yeah for me it was about finding that right balance and that kind of that that right mix and then once we'd done that I ended up picking 10 I could have picked more but I just thought wow that's 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 enough to start off with and we sort of ran a season with them and all I really did was send them out a, a gift package each I guess and sort of said I'd love just your feedback tag us in any pictures that you use and anytime we run a discount it'd just be great if you could or you know any kind of event that we have going on it'd be just great if you could you know shout about it on your page which they all did brilliantly and then when it came to the end of the season we just we kept about half of them on actually the other half I would have kept on but their babies were too big that's the only (laughs) the only (laughs) issue that I had is I was like oh I would just keep everyone on but they were starting to grow out of our things a little bit um, and also, I just kind of wanted a, a, a new wave of newborns. So yeah, we've just got a new a new spring team now that are just just brilliant, really, really good. And the other thing is, um, which I, I touched on a minute ago, was uh, talking about those goals that we set at the beginning when we were working together about uh, the different places that you wanted to be stocked, essentially. And I remember mm. talking about one of the places being the modern nursery. <laughs> yes. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened there? Oh gosh, do you know, I actually cringe a little bit when I think about it because um, I got in touch with Laura from the Modern Nursery and oh, it's it's actually really embarrassing. <laughs> I messaged her from my personal Instagram account before I'd even set up the Isla and Fraser one um, saying, hi, we've got two baby blankets. Um, we sell on Amazon. We don't have a website. I don't have an Instagram would you be interested? That was pretty much the gist of my message. (laughs) And looking back, I think I don't know what I was thinking of, but I was just so convinced that they were the right fit for us. I think I, again, was trying to run before I could walk. And again, this was just before we'd actually sat down and kind of put the brakes on and sort of like, right, okay, let's just get everything established. But she, to be, to be fair to her, she was just so lovely. And she actually was like, I can see how lovely your product is. Get back in touch when you've got a website and we can talk again then so as soon as we kind of built the website in and it was July that we launched last year I emailed her again no I direct messaged her again actually from our, our actual Instagram handle this time our Ida and Fraser one saying I'm not sure if you remember me but she was absolutely lovely again and was like I do remember you and she had a look at the website loved it and within about a week we had an order for stock 
So as much as I kind of cringe, I actually think it, it did plant a seed. Obviously, I could have done it in a better way. Um, but she remembered me and she and she also I think being a she's a a mum, you know, entrepreneur as well. She started off small like us, and I think she really champions these people as well that are doing the same thing. So as much as it was probably one of the most unprofessional things I've ever done, (laughs) (laughs) I think it resonates with people. And I feel the same when people approach me now as well. I always, always want to try and help or give advice wherever I can, um, because I know exactly how it feels to kind of feel like, oh, I don't know how to ask this question or I don't know how to approach people. Um, so yeah, yeah so they, they they recently put in another big order with us. So we gave them a load of new stock. So um, and they're selling it really well. So that's been brilliant for us. That just having again, like the awards and a bit like the Vogue thing, just having other people endorse your brand and say we we love it too. For us, just makes a huge difference. And being a wholesaler isn't it's not part of our big long term strategy because we run on quite lean margins. So to give margin away is difficult, but for us to get the right fit, and like you say, we talked about the modern nursery so much, um, to get the right fit of, of retailer to stock our products, I think is absolutely crucial. And we're being really selective. We've been approached by a lot and we've actually turned down everyone so far um, because they're not the right fit. So I think it's really important to yeah make sure they fit with your brand credentials. Yeah, absolutely. And is there any other advice that you'd give another mum, perhaps thinking of, you know, doing something similar, starting her own business? What are the kind of lessons that you've learned? Like, what would you perhaps do differently looking back now on the last couple of years? Like, how would you perhaps do things differently? What any mistakes that you've learned from other than that awful message? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. Do you know what I... I don't know if I would do anything differently because I think that I've learned from everything. I know it sounds really cliche, but I've genuinely learned from every failure or every mistake that I've made. I would, I still wouldn't even take back that message. I would still do it the same way because of what it led to. I would say, don't rush anything. Take your time. Don't panic. <laughs> be consistent and just remember who you are and who you're talking to. And you're going to have slow days. You're going to have crazy sale days but just ride them both out and I I still now panic when I have a slow day and I think oh everyone's forgotten us they're not there they're not seeing us or I see another brand that's created an amazing reel and I haven't even done a reel yet it's on my to-do list (laughs) I need to get there and I have this sort of feeling most days that I need to go faster I need to do more I need to be better um, but I always come back to we're a slow living brand. We don't always need to move at a frenetic pace. We need to be calm. We need to be consistent with our customers and we need to not deviate from from who we are and don't try and be someone else because it looks like they're being more they're, they're doing something more successfully than you. It's really difficult, especially in the world. You can get very sucked into Instagram and it can look like a popularity contest and it can feel like a competition and it's it's honestly not and I think just stay true to who you are don't panic don't try and rush it just take each day as it comes do a little bit every day and ultimately I think also believe in yourself and what you're doing I found that one of the hardest things and you know I'm lucky that I have a very supportive husband who keeps championing me and pushing me to do these things like apply for these awards you know otherwise I don't think I would have done it because I always have a lot of doubt but I think you're your own biggest advocate for your brand and so you have to be your biggest supporter as well 
Um, and for me, ultimately, what it does boil down to is that I believe in our products and I'm proud of them and I'm really happy to shout about them and, and sell them to people. And, and I trust that they're really good products for people to use on their, on their you know, precious newborn babies. So I think you've got to just be doing something that you're really passionate about and that you can happily say, I, I would, if I had the opportunity, I'd want to do this for the rest of my, my career. And that that's what gets you out of bed every day. Yeah, definitely there's always that feeling of wanting to go faster wanting to do yeah. more um there's always more things popping up you know tiktok reels all the different <laughs> options that you have as a business and i think it's just really key to kind of pick your poison to choose one thing and do it really well to start with and then you can start doing the other things you know it sounds as well like there's a lot you know you have a lot to do if you're doing your instagram you're doing your um the kind of custom service part mm. you're doing your product design you're doing your packaging dealing with your brand reps you know to do all of this in four hours five hours perhaps a day uh it's a lot isn't it so um hats off to you I would say first of all and to also be able to build a brand and a business when you've got really small children it it is it is really challenging with that in mind you know are there any other ways that you would suggest that small businesses can really help each other oh gosh yeah small businesses I've actually found Instagram such an amazing community for small business support. And I think, especially in COVID, I found this real support small movement that's happened. Um, it's just come at the best possible time. And there is a real outpouring of support for them. I um, started to connect just naturally with a lot of other, you know, mums running small businesses. You just end up reaching out, asking, where did you get that, those gift cards from? Or, you know, your packaging that's great. And, and everyone's always so willing to share advice and tips. And then actually a, a couple of women that I connect with regularly, we, we created our own small business support group, which is just a wonderful place to check in regularly. And just, I would say, just support each other and um, offer advice, you know, words of wisdom they're brilliant at encouraging me to to start doing reels as well um and for me I think it's just all the little things you can do so tagging other small businesses in your post without feeling worried that oh but that means they might click on that our followers might click on that small business rather than our product and not worrying about that and actually becoming a champion for other small businesses especially when it's products and brands that you know that your followers would be interested in and that would complement you know, the products they would buy from you as well and not feeling that it's a competition. And then commenting and liking and saving and sharing other small businesses posts and never ever viewing them as competition and always just seeing them. If someone's doing well, I would just always see that as as inspiration. So for me that's just an amazing community. And I love following other small businesses that do similar because it then in turn helps me uncover more small businesses. And actually since starting Isla and Fraser I've managed to find all these amazing small businesses that I now shop from and I just feel like I get much better more unique products than I do from when I used to just honestly buy I used to be quite a lazy shopper I would say because I think I was I was quite time poor for it so I went for convenience and I used to buy from the same big retailers and now I feel like I've uncovered all these hidden gems and I actually really love shopping small personally and it's 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 actually really if you, you feel good about yourself as well by being able to advocate for brands that you you shop from yourself yeah there's definitely that feel good factor I, I think because you know it's that idea of somebody doing a little happy dance every time the order yeah. comes in <laughs> you know it, it kind of is isn't it you know you know yourself that when you have a good day what that feels like 
Um, so what's next for Isla and Fraser? What have you got in the pipeline? What can you tell us? Any sort of inside sneaky peek knowledge that you can give us? So we've got quite a lot coming up, actually. Um, it takes quite a long time for us to create our products. So again, going back to that panic feeling, I always think, oh, everyone's bored. We haven't launched anything in a while. But I know it's just my own niggling self-doubt. So it's taken a while to test and create baby clothing, but we're going to launch baby clothing properly this Ooh, summer. Oh, how exciting. It's really exciting. And I think it was the natural next step. It's all still knitted. It's all still organic. It's um, in the same, you know, like you mentioned, the really, really soft organic cotton that we're known for. So and again, in our really tight color palette, so it all kind of links in together. But when we launched bonnets and booties, when did we launch them? Around Christmas time last year. And we just sort of thought, okay, we'll just kind of put them out there alongside our, our blankets and see what happens. And um, they instantly sold out. And so actually it kind of gave us that feeling of, okay, actually what people are really liking is creating a bit more of a bespoke gift box and matching sets. So we've got um, more of them coming. And also we're not launching some little knitted bloomers, which are actually one of the cutest things I've ever seen. They sound adorable. <laughs> <laughs> as well as... Um, little cardigans knitted trousers and then for winter we've got bobble hats and mittens coming so just really cute little newborn sets that people can bundle together buy separately and then also we're just looking at we've just moved to a new area so we're looking at just becoming a bit more involved in the local community we're talking to local sustainable shops seeing how we can support each other in that kind of way Christmas markets and just connecting with other small businesses as well where we are and just trying to see how we can get involved in more sort of sustainability projects as well and really trying to fly the flag a little bit more with our organic credentials and in that respect seeing how much more of a sustainable brand we can be and sort of pushing ourselves challenging ourselves in that way. So there's a lot in the pipeline so yes going back to my um, point about trying to do all this in <laughs> a few hours <laughs> uh, it, it sounds like it could be the time to to sort of take some extra help and outsource a bit what would you, what would you outsource the you know the first what's the kind of first thing that you need to look at well we've discussed it quite a lot and I think that the main thing that we would be looking to to delegate slash outsource first would probably be the packing of the orders because they're so time consuming and Simon's always telling me how much better you know how much better my time could be spent um you know being on the product and the creative side and freeing it up um, to do more of that so we are looking at that as sort of first put of call and again that's a question of do we take on staff do we outsource the fulfillment and we have had conversations about outsourcing the fulfillment for me the biggest challenge with it is how much value our customers currently place on the personal service they get so I'm able to answer all questions about how the order's packed when when it's going to get to them and also I handwrite all the gift notes myself and I think relinquishing that control is going to be very difficult, especially if it's to a um, external fulfillment center. And currently the ones we've approached also don't do gift notes. So for me, that would be a big challenge to drop that and one I'm not prepared to do at the moment. So it's just look, it's just it's making sure that we can delegate these things, but, but maintain the high standards that we've set because it's what where we've kind of got to, I feel we really want to protect um, and make sure that we don't drop any balls on it. So for us, it's a big one that we need to figure out how to manage. And especially also because we've had conversations about 
crack in America. <laughs> We've had so much interest from America. Um, and at the moment we do, we do ship to them, but we don't target them in any way. We don't do any ads. We don't um, specifically try to reach out to American customers, but we know that that market is there and are interested. So for us, we want to try and crack it and we've got a bit of a sort of strategy, but but we won't be able to do it with me fulfilling the orders again, like we said, in the time that we've got. So it's all a little bit of a, um, a talking point at the moment is how we can grow based on, like you said, the hours that I have. So that's probably going to be the first thing that we would delegate out. And then the second thing I would say would be um, marketing and seeing if we can get someone to help with that and help with our ads and just help with, you know, the Instagram um, content planning side of it. Where are you advertising at the moment? So we advertise on Facebook, which obviously obviously covers Instagram as well and Google. And we do have some ads running on our Amazon shop as well. Okay. And you're you're doing that yourself as well? Yes, I do all of that. <laughs> I hate to see your to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's horrendous. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose the difficulty with um, any small business that kind of reached this point is trying to retain the uniqueness and the charm of the fact that it's a small business mm. and the fact that everything is handled in-house and by one person and, you know, that people get that really personalised uh, experience and your standards stay really high whilst also trying to balance wanting to grow uh, and it's also really difficult I think to let go of stuff you know for the first time you do it it's quite hard to let go of that but I think once you've done it once so if you were to take somebody on or to outsource your packaging and that kind of thing then the next thing that you outsource would feel a bit easier whether that's your um, marketing your social media your ads whatever it is it, the next thing always feels easier because <laughs> you, you've got to just find the right person um, yes. and like you said with the you know the website designer and and finding the right people in your team once you've got those different people then they will become part of your team whether it's a virtual team or a real team and then you can feel more confident to take that next step and then to be able to advertise to America and know that you can fulfill on that because the back end of the business is working as it should. Um, so it sounds really exciting, like really, really exciting. And I, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much for talking to us. I think that's probably quite a good place uh, for us to leave it today. But I could just go on and talk to you all day because I have so <laughs> many questions, as I'm sure our listeners do. So maybe we'll have to have you come back again in a few months time and, and talk about the, the next stage uh, and how that all goes. Um, but thank you for giving up your time to talk to me today and best of luck with it all. I cannot wait to see these absolutely adorable sounding bloomers and bubble hats. Um, <laughs> if only I had a baby. No, 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 I don't want a baby. But <laughs> I'm going to find a baby that I can gift these to. Um, <laughs> but they, they're, they're, they're one of the few products that I think make me feel slightly broody. <laughs> but we're definitely done. Don't worry if my husband's listening, we're definitely done. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, great to talk to you. Thanks very much, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Liz. It's been lovely talking to you. Thanks for joining me this week. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Now, are you interested to know what type of entrepreneur you are? You can go and check out the quiz on my website, www.elevatewithliz.co.uk. It will tell you all about your business personality and the next steps to take to really elevate your brand. So be sure to go and check that out. 
And if you've got a spare couple of seconds, would you be so kind as to do a screenshot of this podcast episode uh, if you've enjoyed it and to share it to your Instagram stories? Please be sure to tag me at Elevate with Liz because it really does help other people to find the podcast. Thanks again and bye for now.